Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, the apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Nor eagerly desire the greater gifts? And yet I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Thank you. Now, keep your Bibles open, keep the passage in front of you. Um, There is an an outline in the leaflet as well, which will help guide you, help you follow on where we're going this morning. Picture the scene, a doctor's waiting room, reception desk on one wall, there's a pot plant in one corner, kids' toys in the next, um, magazines on the table in front of you, uh, Reader's Digest, Hello, National Geographic if you're lucky. And the nurse comes out and announces, Church in Corinth, yes, the, the doctor will see you now. So up steps the Corinthian church, flashy, pretty loudly dressed, confident, strides purposely in past the nurse into the doctor's examination room. Ah, oh, Corinth, good to see you, the doctor says. Thank you for coming in. Now, We've had the results of your tests back, and I'm afraid it's not good news. I I know you're aware of the the issue of immorality that needs to be dealt with, but I'm afraid we've uncovered something even more serious. You have a very serious case of disunity. How could that be? Well, I know you're an active church with all sorts of members, Greeks and Jews, rich and poor, um, all from different backgrounds. And, And yes, I know that you are demonstrating some quite spectacular gifts, but there seems to be something seriously missing, and it's lucky that we've got it early. Now, if it was Trinity Hills rather than the church at Corinth going into the doctors for its spiritual health check, what would the verdict be? This is the question, this is the idea that we're going to be looking at this morning as we look at this passage from, from Corinthians this week and next. In the last month, we've been following Christ's passion to its climax at the cross and then the empty tomb of Easter. And we've been reminding ourselves about Jesus' words of grace that are so crucial to our faith and the events of that very first Easter that are so important. So, as disciples of Christ here gathering together at all gates and living in the wider hills um, and a few of us down on the plains, how are we travelling in Paul's most excellent way of loving discipleship? Now, maybe this morning you've been perhaps a little surprised at the choice of reading. You know, why are we starting near the end of chapter 12 and only stop after the first three verses of chapter 13. I mean, why, why stop before we get to the good bits? 
And I'm sure many of you are familiar with chapter 13's famous hymn of praise to love. Those 13 concise yet very poetic verses that somehow seem to sit awkwardly between the two chapters on either side where Paul is talking about spiritual gifts. I think it's an example, 12, 13, and 14 in 1 Corinthians, of the disadvantages that chapter and verse divisions can, they can affect our reading of the Bible. Um, some commentators believe that perhaps Paul used some pre-existing material to put into his letter, either that he wrote or was known at the time, so maybe someone else wrote it. I had a non-Christian friend um, once who, who thought that chapter 13 was written by someone else because it was so unlike any other of Paul's writings. I'm sure many of you will have heard chapter 13 read at a wedding. You know, perhaps you had it read at your wedding or you're planning to have it at your wedding. And while it does have, chapter 13 has a valuable message for married couples. It's really important lessons. Taking the passage in isolation away from its context can sometimes miss, we cannot sometimes mean we miss an important message for all of us in the church. And this is what I'm looking to explore this week and next. So what is the presenting problem using medical terms? What is the Corinthian church demonstrating? Well, as a good doctor needs to take a medical history, I'll give you first of all a little bit of a background about the Corinthian church. The city of Corinth was once a rival of Athens, but it was destroyed by the Romans and then rebuilt by Julius Caesar as a a Roman colony. By the time Paul was writing, it was a pretty cosmopolitan melting pot with Greeks, Syrians, Jews, resettled Roman veterans. It was a busy port city. Boats used to come into Corinth and then the goods were transferred a short distance to the other side of the um, peninsula that it was on because it meant avoiding a very dangerous uh, boat journey round stormy seas. The Isthmian Games were a rival of the Olympics. They were second only to the Olympics for athletic competition. They happened every two years in Corinth. And it was famed for its prosperity. So people were wealthy, but it also had slaves and freedmen, people who'd managed to buy their way out of slavery. Apparently it contained many shrines and temples for pagan gods and Roman emperors. Paul probably came to Corinth in the early 50s AD. You can read about it in Acts 18. He stayed with his fellow Jewish believers and tent makers, Aquila and Priscilla. And he initially preached the gospel to Jews in the synagogue. Following opposition there, he then went to preach to the Gentiles. That was his custom, to go to the Jews first, preach in the synagogue, and then the Gentiles. Acts tells us that both Jews and Gentiles believed and were baptised. 
And Luke's account in Acts tell us that he stayed in Corinth for about a year and a half before leaving for Ephesus and then on to Athens. Now it seems that after Paul's departure, a number of other Christian leaders came to the city and met with this young church. And they included Apollos, possibly Peter, and then Barnabas as well. Certain leaders arose as well within the church in Corinth who seemed to be taking the church in its direction away from where the Apostle Paul wanted it to be, where it wanted it to go. And this seems to have stirred up a number of issues that we can learn from 1 Corinthians that the church was facing. It seems that Paul has heard accounts of the church that he founded and then he received a letter from them seeking clarification from certain clarification on certain matters and 1 Corinthians is his reply to this letter so what were the issues that the Corinthian church was facing well there was um, sexual immorality going on that Paul addresses but kind of reading between the lines uh, about the other matters that he addresses it seems a bigger concern for Paul is an issue of division, disunity, and factionalism that's rife throughout the church. Now, it's not just a kind of them versus us thing going on, but in a number of ways, in a number of different areas within the church, there's opposition, there's disunity. There are people following or stating that they're following different leaders rather than others. So, I follow Paul, you follow Apollos, I follow someone else, rather than following Christ. There seem to be pretty blunt social divisions between the rich and poor, and Paul mentions that this is evident in the Lord's Supper. There's even legal conflict between two members of the church. And there's also spiritual division between some who claimed to have special gifts and those who didn't. And it's here in Paul's discussion about spiritual gifts that we find his most excellent way. But before we get to Paul's diagnosis and, and treatment that he suggests for the Corinthians, what about us here in Trinity Hills? A few years ago when we preached the whole book of 1 Corinthians, the series was called Just an Ordinary Church. Just like any church, we are all gathered from different backgrounds, walks of life and experiences. We've had different experiences of church. On the one hand, we struggle with different sins and temptations. On the other, we've been very blessed with many gifts and abilities. We have different preferences, preferences and ideas on what is important and how we do certain things. And after all, church is to do with people. And people can be difficult at times. Maybe we find certain situations, circumstances or people difficult to get on with. So how we react as Trinity Hills to those sorts of challenges... What does that tell us? What does it reveal about us as individuals and as a church? 
We'll go on and look at Paul's diagnosis of the Corinthian church. I'm going to take a bit of a run-up to the verses that Eliza read. At the beginning of chapter 12, Paul states he doesn't want the Corinthians to be uninformed about the gifts of the Spirit, about spiritual things, some translations say. He begins, though, by stating emphatically that anyone who professes Christ as Lord has the Spirit within them. He then goes on to explain that the gifts of the Spirit are, first of all, given by the Spirit in unity with the Father and Son. They're given for the common good and for the service of all. He shows that they're expressed in different ways in different people. And all those different gifts and those who have them are all important parts of the whole. Paul uses that familiar image of a body and its different parts to illustrate this truth and to highlight the absurdity of claiming some parts do not need the others. From this, we can deduce the Corinthians seem to be promoting certain gifts as better than others. Showy and visible gifts, such as perhaps speaking in tongues, were being pursued. Gifts were being practiced for self-gratification rather than for the edification of others. And some gifts were perhaps seen as a sign of a special blessing or a wisdom that other people didn't have. So look at verse 27 where we started this morning. Now you are the body of Christ, Paul reminds them, and each one of you is part of it. Now the you in that verse is a plural you. He's speaking to everyone. Yous are the body of Christ, Paul is saying. All the members of the Corinthian church who profess Christ as Lord are Christ's body. Each of them as individuals, gifted in different ways, are part of the body, but only as long as they start to stay within that body and practice their gifts within the body. He then goes on and gives a kind of sample of different gifts and members in a kind of loose hierarchy. God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Now, it seems that by placing those word-based gifts of apostle, prophet, and teacher first, it's thought that Paul is emphasizing the importance of the founding and then the continuing importance of uh, the, the continued teaching and edification of the church. And it's also interesting how Paul gives a range of ministries, supernatural gifts, and services in his list. He's saying they all have a part to play. Paul is emphasizing that the importance of gifts is not what the Corinthians think or how they've been acting. He goes on to ask, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret? Emphasizing his previous points, the Greek construction, the grammar in the original language shows that his inspected answer is no. Individuals do not have all the gifts 
That's why they need everyone else. But what's so bad about this misunderstanding about spiritual gifts? Well, the the first three verses of chapter 12 are revealing. If I speak in the tongues of men or angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship, that I may boast but have not love, I gain nothing. So Paul's given us this list of super spiritual behavior, hasn't he really? Speaking in angelic tongues, gift of prophecy, um, having a faith that can move mountains, and such generosity and, and willingness to suffer. It's impressive stuff. You know, you'd like to see that kind of thing happening here. Yet, Paul says, without love, these gifts are worthless. Without love, generosity gains nothing. Without love, the gift of prophecy and faith is nothing. And without love, tongues are like clanging cymbals or resounding gongs. Now that last example is particularly telling. Corinth was known, one of the things Corinth was known for was its brass statues. And apparently the metal was made by a secret formula. So it's not hard to imagine that brass gongs and cymbals were also made in Corinth. And it's thought that some of the pagan religions in the city would process before and after their ceremonies, playing their gongs and their cymbals to attract attention, not only to the people around them, but to attract their God's attention. You know, here I am, here we are. Does the Corinthians unloving use of their gifts and those other divisions in the church reveal a kind of prideful individualism and a sense of achievement or or a desire for recognition perhaps in their spiritual giftedness. Look at me, look at me. I'm so holy. I speak in tongues. I give so generously. I have such faith. The parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector that Jesus tells in Luke 18 is meant for people like this. Luke tells us that he told this parable to some who trusted themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes up to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus said, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. 
both the parable and the example of the Corinthians are a warning to us here at Trinity Hills that giftedness, talent, or abilities should not automatically be seen as evidence of grace. I think we are blessed with a good teaching program, a flourishing kids and youth program, talented musicians, a high level of growth group involvement, great fellowship. We financially support other network churches. We have community outreach. We pray for missionaries. These are all good things. But we could be doing all of these without love. Yes, God can and often does use sinful, prideful, individualistic, attention-seeking people. But it should not be allowed to mask a lack of growth in an other person-focused, loving character. To use a sports analogy, we could be like a footy team who are all great athletes, we've got the right Guernsey on, we're kicking long kicks downfield, catching every mark, finding our man with our handballs. But if we're not shooting for the posts, we're going to be missing the points. The cricket analogy, we could have all the correct kit, pads, helmet, zinc cream, we could look the part, but if we don't put bat on ball, we don't get the runs on the boards. How would we know here at Trinity Hills if that was the case? Well, here's a few diagnostic questions, if you like. How do we respond to others being recognized for their gifts or chosen for ministry rather than us? Do we think our area of ministry should receive more attention? Does our giving depend on what the money is spent on? What do our words reveal when discussing either people or decisions we find difficult? What is our reason for perhaps not serving in church? What is our reason for serving in church? Do our gifts and our ministries here at Trinity Hills demonstrate love? And these sorts of questions are ones that we as a staff team take seriously as well. Discussing this with, with Cameron this week, that question of ministry, successful ministries, not reflecting our own growth in Christ is something that yeah, Cameron was speaking of his awareness of that and the, the need to question ourselves and reflect on our own lives. So what's the treatment? The treatment Paul suggests for Corinthians and for us is that most excellent way of love. But before we go on, it should be noted that Paul is not saying there is anything wrong with the gifts themselves. They've been given by God. <clears throat> There's nothing wrong with our talents and our abilities. They're a blessing to be used for the good of the whole church. And as Paul said, the whole church has those gifts. But they need to be expressed with and used 
with an other-person-focused agape love. Now, if you're not familiar with that term, agape, it's one of the Greek words for love. And it's about a love that has no expectation of reward. It's focused on the other person. And I'll be exploring that meaning next week when we look at the second part of 1 Corinthians 13. So, is the solution just to, to love more? Well, this is people we're talking about. Church is about people. And it can be hard to serve others in love, rather for a multitude of other reasons. Go again to those first three chapters of chapter 13. Remember how without love, tongues are like clanging cymbals. Without love, the gift of prophecy and faith is nothing. And without love, generosity gains nothing. What is that love about? Well, it's not our love that can give us this purpose, significance, meaning or recognition. In fact, our love cannot give us anything. The love we need to use our gifts for God is actually the love he has already given us. In 1 John 4, we read, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. Ephesians 2 reminds us that Christ has broken down the dividing wall of hostility and division between us and God. And this should enable us to overcome any disunity or hostility within the church. The treatment that the Corinthians and we need has in fact already been given to us. We have been lovingly served and ministered to by Christ himself, God's only son. He gave up his body on a cross to redeem sinful, attention-seeking, self-serving, prideful people like me and like you and to make us part of his body. Look again at verse 27 of chapter 12. Now you are the body of Christ. The Corinthians, despite the division, despite all their failings, are already part of Christ's body. We too, if we profess Christ as Lord and Saviour, are already part of his body. He has already seen and recognised us, not because of anything we can do, but because of his love for us. What Christ has done for us should free us from our need to perform should free us from the expectation of success and should free us from the fear of failure. We, like the Corinthians, 
have no need to compare ourselves to other people, either for better or worse. We have no need to ignore those who are different from us. We have no need to harbor resentment. We have no need to hold ourselves back from loving others with no expectation of recognition or reward. We have a freedom in Christ to serve each other in a self-sacrificial, other-person-focused way of love. May we eagerly desire to use our gifts in this most excellent way and be the very presence of Christ himself here in Trinity Hills. Amen.